Starting in the 1950s, Everett Henry did a series of literary maps. Um, not just maps that would show kind of the lay of the land of where things happened, but actually a map that would show kind of the flow of the story, the, the actual drama of what took place. Beautiful, colorful, wonderful works. Um, what we've, we've all seen these over time, but what we didn't know was the originals were saved and donated to the Library of Congress thanks to the actions of one employee that loved them from the time he saw them and then over decades would always make sure that he kept track of the company and made sure that they eventually made it to the Library of Congress. Today, a talk with Rich Foley. Real quick, uh, a bit about your background. Uh, based in Ohio, uh, went to school, uh, got into engineering, landed that job right. with Harris Siebold. Yes. And what were you doing for them? Um, uh, design engineer. Okay, okay. Uh, Harris Siebold, for those that aren't aware, and as times have changed, it can kind of fall out of people's uh, kind of memory. Uh, they were a powerhouse for making the best printing presses you could imagine at the time. Uh, th these are folks that, uh, from, what was it, from 1906 to 76, they made literally thousands of presses, including some for the military. Uh, presses small enough that you could use them on an aircraft carrier or use them out in the field. Uh, so you'd be able to print up maps for the sake of uh, troops or whatever engagement was going on. Um what was it like working for them? It was a very good company. Um, we knew when we started working there that they were a leader in the uh, manufacture of uh, sheet-fed offset printing presses for the graphic arts industry. Mm -hmm. And they were high quality, and they had uh, excellent management, which we all respected. And um, uh, we had several plants around the company with very good workers. And um, it was an enjoyable time. Awesome. But the, the hub itself for the business was still based uh, in Cleveland? The corporate offices were in Cleveland. They started, the first company started in Niles, Ohio. <clears throat> it's called Harris Automatic Press Company. Then later on, they combined with um, Seibold. Uh, Charles, Charles Seibold was an um, entrepreneur in Dayton, Ohio, manufactured uh, <clears throat> paper cutters and things for the um, industry. So they combined in 1927. Mm, okay. And became Harris Eibel Company. Now, if uh, if you're a printing company at the time, uh, one way, and this was a brilliant move, one way that you could show uh, your quality and kind of your abilities was to have some kind of sample or something along those lines. Well, Harris Eibel came up with the idea of, let's do a set of calendars. And these calendars started back in the early 40s and used some pretty big artists. And they were masterpieces of printing. <laughs> this was beyond the highest quality you could imagine for the time. This was cutting edge uh, for what they were doing. And each year, uh, calendars would come out sometimes in April, but I think usually in July. And they were using artists like Cleland uh, or other people along those lines that were making these kind of uh, patriotic um, you know, beautiful bucolic scenes or kind of this ideal romanticized view of life. And they continued uh, producing these, uh, I mean, having these advertising calendars, even during World War II, where they had um, gone into uh, manufacturing uh, items for the war. Yeah. During World War II. Yeah. And then post-war, uh, we get into a time where 
the company decides that they're going to take on a whole different approach, and they're going to do books as maps, which was this innovative thing. There had been a couple of instances that had kind of toyed with it in the 1920s and 30s of maps that were literary-based or a map that would show uh, kind of the setting of a book. But this was going to be a whole series that they spearheaded uh, aimed at, quote-unquote, the red-blooded young man and celebrating the classics, bringing those back up and uh, kind of providing a, a sense of a visual connection for those key books. Yes, and I don't know why they chose that uh, theme, but, um, uh, of course, they're all um, man books, you might say. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, there were other themes. Uh, you know, paper mills had, uh, Northwest Paper had the, uh, the uh, uh, Canadian Mounties were always on their images. And uh, and other other companies had unique maps. Uh, Timken Bearing Company brought out a uh, a series of calendars, and they had an image for each month. <clears throat> and uh, so there were there were major corporations uh, that had calendars. Uh, some of the life insurance companies had calendars that were very nice mm-hmm. in those days. It was it was part of printing, and and they were they were uh, given out by the companies uh, mm-hmm. as uh, free items to their employees and also to uh, the public market. Mm-hmm. And in this instance, for Harris Siebold, they were actually looking at these also for educational use, that these were, upon request, you could get for free an image of, say, Robin Hood or Tom Sawyer or Huck Finn or Ivanhoe, something along those lines. And um, and you had mentioned at one point that you had seen that there was indeed, there were stacks of them uh, that were printed up that were be would be a request that you could get and uh, yes, have it they only up. printed I think they only printed like one printing each each time and once those uh, and they printed them either uh, mainly in the uh, as a calendar with the image at the top and the months at the bottom but they also had and I think they were a little bit smaller not a whole lot smaller just the images themselves in in the flat image <clears throat> and they were mailed out in mailing tubes and and with the calendars there was an insert that was put in there. And it told about the um, the thing, and uh, uh, like I got the insert from Moby Dick here, and at the bottom it says, uh, "This mid-year calendar is sent to you with Harris Seibold's compliments. A limited supply of prints without the calendar is available for framing. A copy may be had by writing to Harris Seibold Company in Cleveland, Ohio." Mm-hmm. And the artist that they chose. Um, from the jump, and kind of the guy that we know most uh, from this whole series was Everett Henry. Um, for those that might not remember him, he was a heck of an illustrator. Did ads for a, a gob of people. Did for Cadillac. Um, did a lot of big, a lot of big names in the period. And he was a master artist and watercolorist. And matter of fact, all the the map images that we're seeing out of this series. That's how they were initially done, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're all watercolors. The only one that had any other uh, uh, method on it was uh, Paul Riva used on the Jack London's Call of the Wild. For the snow scenes, there is a little bit of either oil or something else on there. On those, oh. so It's a little bit of a raised surface. But the other ones were, were flat surfaces, uh, 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 watercolors. And so as you... Very go, vivid colors. Yeah. And so as you worked at Harris Seabold, these original paintings were all looming in the offices. 
No, they were in the corporate offices in Cleveland. Okay. From what okay. I remember. Okay. In the board of directors' offices. Ah, okay. Okay. Then as uh, they were never in our, uh, I don't think they were in the district offices. Okay. But as the uh, as times changed when the corporate offices moved to Florida, then these uh, paintings were moved to uh, the plant, different plant headquarters. Okay. So. And uh, so every year. They would they were, issue. They were, they were framed with the wormy chestnut frames originally. Hmm. And wormy chestnut, you know, was a wood that was uh, in the East Coast here, and very large, um, uh, lots of wood available mm-hmm. back in the 30s and 40s. But uh, the chestnut uh, beetle or whatever it was, or the uh, killed all the trees. But these, uh, and I had one, one, uh, one of the frames. I had it here at home, and I donated it to the Library of Congress. Oh wow. But with with this series, every year there was kind of anticipation at the company because the yes. the calendars were actually issued out in July. Uh, yes. Yep. And and so there was kind of a buzz that began to kind of grow. And at we the did company. not know what the theme would be for next year. Yeah. And so it would kind of be unveiled, and um, it would it would start this whole this whole process of shipping things out, and. Um, and kind of a, a whole focus on this specific novel at the same time, too. That's pretty interesting. And yes, right. So, and so Everett Henry does this series from starting in 53 and then runs up to 61 and does a whole whole batch of them. Um, I actually have – the interesting thing is, is uh, later Library of Congress would do a focus on literary maps. And indeed, the very cover image on the book is Everett Henry's Huck Finn – Okay, and right. and they deal a whole lot. Just a lot of it starts to pivot on this whole series of books as maps that Harris Siebel yeah, did. They, they like the images. They really yeah, do. and I they have do. this. I have to say, it evolved. Um, the series itself evolved from what were initially just simple maps that kind of ID'd, for instance, in Robin Hood, would ID here's the forest, there's you know what where this happened or where that happened, to a point where by the time that we get to Moby Dick or Tale of Two Cities, they're complex images that deal with time and place in a kind of novel way. Uh, they become a lot more complicated, and they indeed they kind of help drag you through the entire story of what transpires. It wasn't just a cute backdrop. Uh, but he kind of pushed it into its own interesting novel approach. Uh, it was amazing stuff. Yeah, that was, uh, and I don't know how that occurred, whether uh, Everett Henry did that on his own or the company wanted that. Mm-hmm. But um, there is definitely an increase in detail in the, uh, in, in the later prints, I mean the later paintings. Uh, and that carried mm-hmm. on even into... Uh, with uh, Ken Riley doing his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Everett Henry dies in 1961. Paul Reba, a local Ohio hero, comes in and does Call of the Wild. And then the following year they... Uh, Jack London's Call of the Wild. Yeah. yeah. And then the following year they uh, they picked up Ken Riley, a uh, Southwest right. artist. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Heck of a painter. Good gosh. And he does... And that was really probably a little bit before, before he really started into the Western... Uh, motif that he did so much later. Okay. Uh, yeah. Because he did a lot of other uh, illustrations for other companies at that time. But he had a history of, uh, you know, he was in the West and in his youth and all that. So he um, he had a great background and everything. And um, 
And I think he, too, is another one of those guys that um, I think he initially cut his teeth uh, doing images for pulps back in the 30s and 40s. Yeah, right. kind of grew and right. evolved, yeah, and, right. yeah, and then right. and then lands firmly with both feet and does Last of the Mohicans for Harris Seabold, um, and then followed by Robinson Crusoe, which is Robinson kind of Crusoe. that's the right. that's the final. That's kind of the end of the that's whole the series. Last. Yeah, and you and you, why they why they stopped? I don't know, but um, <laughs> it was a great run. Yeah, it sure was. And these are all images that um, I have to say. The, the one of the thing that we should probably address is. The business environment is going to shift in the midst of all this occurring. And we go through the 60s and into the 70s, and printing had been this kind of staple uh, in the economy. Um, Herr Siebold had built itself into a dynamic business at the time. I love, too, you'd mentioned that uh, there was a great love for the people that worked there, too, and there was just this uh, a sense of camaraderie. camaraderie but even from management, uh, you had mentioned something about their uh, their car allotment uh, when it came to management. That uh, oh, yeah, that was a personal thing that uh, the uh, one of the ex presidents told me. Uh, yeah, that um, they didn't they did not have a car allowance for their anyone in the in general office. They always kept their headquarters limited to a hundred people. Mm-hmm. Um, no more than that, and it was uh, pretty much decentralized operation with the corporation. Um, each each plant had their own uh, finance people and engineering and all that, but the corporate offices oversaw the things in general. But uh, but he said uh, we felt it wouldn't be fair to the all the employees if we couldn't offer it to everyone. So that's why we didn't do it. That's so awesome. But the uh, the times change behind it. Um, Harris Company actually gets more and more involved even in um, kind of the electronic electronic, yeah, electronic right. ends of things. And then the whole era of leverage buyouts hits. And um, next thing you know, the company could be... That was after Harris. Yeah, uh, indeed. Was, you know, after Harris, right? Indeed. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason, you kept attention to what happened with these paintings throughout all these changes because it's going to go from uh, Harris is going to evolve into another company... And then another, and then eventually we end up to was it a German company is uh, Man Roland Goss. Man Roland Goss uh, purchased, uh, uh, or Man Roland in Germany purchased Goss, mm-hmm. yeah, just in the recent uh, couple years, and um, so that's that's where the paintings ended. That's where ten of the original paintings ended up. And, in, so, and at, so you their you actually watched and made sure that the. I mean, these paintings could have been several times over. I knew where they were at. Yeah. But they could have been taken home by employees, by owners. They could have just been sold off at any point. Um, You'd mentioned at one point that the company had them individually appraised. Um, They they had them appraised um, in the late 90s. Okay. And uh, and then they were they were reframed and cleaned at that time. I was not with the company when they did that. Okay. And uh, from then on, they were um, they were they were um, protected. They were um, you know hung together, you know in hallways or something like that. They were never uh, they were they were uh, very well taken care of. Mm-hmm. But you uh, put the bug in Manuel and Goss's ear of hey. Those are really great, <laughs> and they should really be someplace where 
they'll be appreciated. How did that happen? Well, I kept track of these, and as um, new owners of the company would uh, would occur, um, I would send an email. I had that. I started the history of the uh, of the paintings uh, back in the early '90s, and I would email them a, a PDF file for the history, and remind them that they were important to the company for the history of the company, and uh, you know, take care of them. And uh, then, if you ever want to. Uh, uh, do anything with them, the Library of Congress would be interested in uh, in having them. And especially after the uh, language of the land uh, that uh, yeah. uh, exhibit was put on in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so after that, uh, and, they, and they had mentioned at that time, you know, if the company ever thought about doing anything, we would like to have them. But uh, and, uh, by that time, um, Library of Congress and the Geography Map Division had copies of all the prints. And they were good copies of the prints. Uh, a few calendars and the other prints. And they had digitized a few of them, but not all of them. Was it uh, just this past summer that you got the chance to actually see them finally make it to their final home? In November, made it, my family and I made a trip to Washington. and We, we saw both prints and we saw the originals, ten of the, the ten originals, existing ones, all in beautiful frames. And very well preserved and um, in uh, climate controlled conditions, and they're going to be there a long time. Yay! Fantastic. And now they're property of of the people of the United States. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. So that's neat. In transacting back and forth with companies over time, did did they get it as to what they had? Did a oh lot- yeah, I think they did. I think they knew the history of it, uh, and I think they they respected that. They they did a great job of maintaining them. They really did. It was it was very 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 well done. It was. I'm sure it was not a monetary decision that they did. It was strictly a, uh, you know, they aren't worth that much money, but it was just the idea that they're they're still together and it's, it was part of the company. Yeah, it it, it was very much doing the right thing. Uh, in, right. in what they've done as far as donation. That's fantastic. Um, so in the midst of everything at Library of Congress, I was, we were just talking about that, is, uh, you know, they'll have manuscript maps by George Washington. They have the first map that ever names America. And now they'll have this set of images that have kind of become the backbone of, of how we think of literary maps. You know, they have some they have some good buddies there in that room. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. That's They're a minor sure. part of that of that uh, collection that the Library of Congress has. It's in the basement of the Madison Building. It's uh, unbelievable, and, and it's open. There's a reading room there, and people can request uh, maps and uh, get prints of maps and all that. And it, of course, uh, it does affect the price of maps out on the open market because now a lot of these maps are digitized, mm-hmm. and people can print them. For their home and all that, but it is a. Um, uh, <laughs> we're just lucky that they're there. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it, it's funny. The um, it, it seems like it's going to go full circle in a sense. The the initial interest for Harris Eibold was that they would be able to offer these for educational use, schools, libraries, and indeed, we'll get a chance to see that repeated. Uh, where through Library of Congress now, all of these will be offered as high res scans that. All you need to do is download, take it on your thumb drive, and visit your that's local printer. What I understand will happen. That's not happened yet, but it, uh, that's, from what I understand, that's their intent. Yeah. Mr. Foley, I cannot thank you. On behalf of uh, the U.S., uh, thanks for being diligent to make sure that these didn't uh, get lost in time but made it to the right home in the end. Uh, well done. Well, as I mentioned, I kind of 
kept some of this quiet until all this happened, um, because just for the uh, protection of the paintings themselves and the and and the and the privacy of the um, of of the corporation that had them, I felt that uh, you know that's the correct thing to do, which I always did. Yeah. So even in my history, I never mentioned where the uh, originals were located. Well done, Rich Foley, and congratulations to the Library of Congress. They did want us to point out, while it's a healthy body of work that they have as far as the originals by Everett Henry, they're still missing two out of the set. So there are still two of the originals that are floating around somewhere yet to be discovered. Thanks for listening. Feel free to contact us at newprojectionscast at gmail, and can't wait to catch you next time. Bye.